0: So my encounter with radiation begins. Radiation, what can I say? I got my only tattoo. My radiologist had me come in for a visit and explained what was going to happen and told me I needed to go into the exam room where I uh, I would have a tattoo on my bottom side to indicate where the radiation beams would be aimed. The technician measured and measured and then put two very tiny dots where they would send that poison into my body. I would visit this room five days a week for six weeks for about 15 minutes each time. I would also be taking an oral treatment of chemotherapy twice a day, every day, for those six weeks. Dr. Barney told me that the first three or four weeks would be no problem. I would start thinking that it was uh, just a walk in the park, Easy peasy, right? Well, week five came along and wham, bam, things started to go downhill fast. I could actually feel my strength leaving my body. Each day was worse than the last. Week six was so terrible. I could barely get into the exam room and get my clothes off for the treatments. I was starting to burn so badly at the point of the radiation entry. I was so sick to my stomach. I was extremely weak and sore all over. I really didn't know if it was because of the radiation or the oral chemo. I didn't know if I was going to be able to live until that week was over. Well, I almost didn't. I don't remember much about the last part of that sixth week of radiation. I remember feeling so weak every time I went in for my treatments, and I remember the nurses telling me that I wasn't looking too perky and I agreed. After the treatments, I would go to Eric's and sleep a lot. I spent a lot of time in the bathroom also. I was in a lot of pain in my lower bowels and and couldn't get much relief. It was like there was some sort of demon inside of me, causing terrible pain, and I couldn't get rid of it. I often thought, whatever this is, it's trying to kill me. A day or so before my final radiation treatment, I was feeling really sick. I really didn't know what was wrong, but I knew I just didn't feel good. Eric and Brenda loaded me in the car and took me to the ER. The doctors and nurses started testing me and couldn't find out exactly what it was that was wrong. I don't remember a lot about that visit, but I do remember them saying that I needed to stay in the hospital overnight for observation. I wasn't I was admitted, but was put in a room close to the ER. So I spent the night, and I don't think anything was decided as to what was wrong. The next morning, they took me to the radiation department for my last treatment. All I remember about that was that I was so weak and sick that I just wanted to sit down and do nothing. In the radiation waiting room was a large gong that those who had finished their treatments would hit with a mallet that was hung nearby. I came out of that last day of radiation, and one of the nurses handed me the mallet and told me to smack the gong. I tried and missed the thing entirely. I tried one more time and remember the mallet softly hitting the side of the gong and making a very soft and unimpressive noise. I handed the mallet back to the nurse. Everyone in the waiting room clapped and cheered, and I felt quite embarrassed. Before we left the hospital that day, it was decided that I needed to be hooked up to an IV to run some fluids into me. I was directed to go upstairs and that someone would get me started. Eric and Brenda were with me and while we were waiting to get things going, I started having bad pains in my belly again. This time they were worse than before. I was in a wheelchair that we used to get me up to the infusion department and Eric tried to help me to get into the bathroom. It seemed like That was more work than it was really worth. I had such a hard time trying to do any good. I finally gave up and got myself back out of the bathroom and into the waiting room. I don't remember anything after that. The next thing that I remember was being checked out of the hospital eight days later and being transferred to the Stonehenge Rehabilitation Facility in Orem. Getting fluid into me was not an easy task. I guess that was because I kept trying to get the IV out of my arm. Brenda said that I was very uncooperative, and finally they just took me back to Eric's. That night was a rough one for all of us. As I said, I don't remember any of it, but Brenda sure does. She tells me that I tossed and turned all night long and that I could not get my breath. She said she thought I had the hiccups. I would make a very loud hiccuping sound, but later found out that I must have been gasping for air. The definition of the word hiccup is a spasm of the diaphragm resulting in a rapid involuntary inhalation that is stopped by a sudden closure of the glottis and accompanied by a sharp, distinctive sound. Well, that's what I was doing, only on a very loud and frightening level. It was a night of very little sleep for Brenda, and probably the rest of the family. That morning, my palliative doctor answered a call to come to Eric's house to see what was going on. I was pretty much non-responsive, and he said that I had probably had a stroke. He told Brenda that I would more than likely be gone within a couple or three days. What can we do, Brenda asked him. You can start preparing for the end of life, or, he said... You can get him to the ER and see what, if anything, can be done. Well, that's a no-brainer, thought Brenda, and asked Eric to call 911. It didn't take more than five minutes for a team of paramedics to arrive at the house. Interesting side note. The team was led by a gentleman that was known by Eric's family. A few years earlier, he had been in a very serious auto accident, and had gone to the intensive care unit at the hospital and was not expected to live. His family had asked Eric's family to pray for him. He needed a miracle. Eric in turn told us of the situation and asked for our prayers as well. It wasn't long until he was well, on his way to a full recovery. Now he had the opportunity to give back to someone who had asked Heavenly Father to spare his life. Before he, they moved me, he asked if I was on any pain meds. Brenda told him that I had been taking OxyCondone, but that we had been so careful to only give it as prescribed. He told her that I was acting as if I had had an overdose, and he said he was going to give me some Naloxone. I vaguely remember them sticking a long suave up my nose. It was very uncomfortable, and I thought I was being tested for COVID. Brenda said that uh, I came around somewhat after they administered the naloxone to me. It must not have been enough for me to remember any more than just what I described to you. The EMTs then put me on a stretcher, and up the stairs they went, and out to the ambulance— Eric's house is only about five or ten minute drive to the hospital, so it didn't take them long to have me where I could receive the help that I needed. I don't remember anything at all during the next eight days. I guess uh, I caused my family, and especially my sweet wife, some major stress during that coming week. Eric downloaded some piano music on his phone and one day played it close to where I could hear and Brenda told me later that I lifted uh, my hands and, and my fingers moved as if playing the piano. It was my birthday on the sixth or seventh day in the hospital. My room was decorated by Brenda and Eric's family. I don't remember them doing it, but I do remember waking up and seeing all the decor around me. It was the day after my birthday that I was transferred from the hospital to Stonehenge in Oram. I can remember them talking about moving me, And I remember uh, the Stonehenge people coming to move me out of my room at the hospital to their building across town. Somehow my mind tricked me into thinking that the decorations for my birthday were at Stonehenge rather than at the hospital. Brenda said Eric followed me to my new room and building. And when they got there, I was already sitting in the recliner, wondering why my birthday decorations had been taken down. I asked them and they informed me that my party had been at the hospital, not at Stonehenge, where I was now. I didn't believe them, but I didn't feel like arguing. As I was sitting there in that comfy recliner trying to decide what had happened to the past eight days, one of the therapists came in and said, okay, let's get you up. Uh, Did he not know that I had not been out of bed and on my feet for more than a week? What was he talking about? I... I don't think that's going to happen, I said. Oh, yes, it is, he returned. You put your arms around my neck and I'll pull you out of that recliner. I gave him a dumbfounded look and just sat there. Come on, he said. So I thought I'd humor him by at least trying. I put my arms around his neck and like he had told me and clasped my fingers together and he began to stand straight up. I tried my best to hold on, but had no strength to hold on for longer than about five seconds. So we started over. He put his arms around my chest, under my arms, and had me clasp my hands around his neck again and said, Here we go. I don't think I can do it, I told him. He came back with a resounding, Yes, you can. Just hold on and push up with your legs. So I gave it the best try that I could, and all of a sudden I was standing. Not very steady, but nonetheless, I was standing. I felt like I was going to fall on the floor any second, but he made me stand for a tiny bit longer. Then he bent over and sat me back into the recliner. Okay, he said, rest up for a minute and we'll do it again. So I began my rehabilitation. Bit by bit, minute by minute, hour by hour, these miracle workers got me back on my feet. They taught me to walk with a walker then with a cane. They taught me to swallow again and how to chew. They worked with my memory by giving me simple math problems and word puzzles to do. They helped me learn how to shower again and how to go to the bathroom again. I lifted weights and exercised my legs. Brenda had even had me stop by the piano that was on the way to the therapy room to play it a bit for each day. I was learning how to live. I was learning to laugh, and most of all, how to be thankful that I was still alive. Daytime was good. Well, as good as a rehab center could be. <laughs> the food was okay, but not the best. The people were great. They treated me with dignity and respect. They were there anytime I needed them. Brenda was there for me. She came every morning and stayed till they kicked her out. So all in all, the When the sun was up, life was good. Nighttime, that was a different story. As soon as Brenda had to leave, things were not good. Nights were long. Nights were lonely. Nights were full of experiences that shouldn't happen to anybody. I had incidents that I never imagined could happen to me. There were times that I needed someone there, anyone. But there were others in the facility that had the same needs as I, and the nurses and the CNAs couldn't be everywhere at once. There were times when I needed someone and I <laughs> I couldn't find that call button to summon their assistance. There were times when I lay there and yelled to the top of my lungs to summon someone to come help me. There were times when I when I was afraid. When the sun went down, the demon that was in my body was anxiously awaiting for dark so it could show its ugly face and control my body. With all of the chemo and radiation and prayers, it was still there. It had been wounded, but it was still there, and it frightened me. I had no control over it, and I was terrified. When the boogies come
1: out And I know they are deciding how to get me Then I hear myself shout Cause there's no room for doubt When the lights are all out The boogies are gonna try to catch me Scratch me when the creepies are near And I'd like to run and hide Before they get me in the closet Strangle me and bite me And then kick me where it matters Then they tie me up and hang me from the trees. I'm afraid and I'm all alone. The nurses are with someone else. My wife's gone home. I don't think I can take it anymore. And the thing to call for help is on the floor. When the boogies come out, and I know they are deciding how to get me, Then I hear myself shout Cause there's no room for doubt When the lights are all out The boogies are gonna try to catch me Snatch me when the creepies are near And I like to run and hide Before they get me in the closet Strangle me and bite me And then kick me where it matters Then they tie me up and hang me from the trees They found a tumor inside of me When the time is right, they'll take it out, you'll see. But till that day, it's my enemy. And each night it comes to life inside of me. When the boogies come out, and I know they are deciding how to get me. Then I hear myself shout, and there's no room for doubt. When the lights are all out, the boogies are gonna try to snatch me. Catch me when the creepies are near And I'd like to run and hide Before they get me in the closet Strangle me and bite me And then kick me where it matters Then they tie me up and hang me from the trees So don't tell me not to be afraid The dark just scares me I even hate the shade So don't tell me not to love the light When you know very well that I'm right When the time has come along And my body's getting strong And the doctor puts that boogie in the trash where it belongs Then it won't come bother me It won't hang me from that tree And at last I will be free